Are you curious about how you might have a more fulfilling work life? Well, you're not alone. In fact, the numbers show us that many of us want more fulfilling work lives. I'm Susan Mikriadon, your host. And as a finance director, ops director and leadership coach, who has lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences and perspectives. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the people side of work life and explore ways to let your uniqueness shine through by sharing insights, stories, strategies and techniques to inspire your work life. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Louise McMillan. Louise, you're so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for inviting me along. I'm really privileged to be uh, speaking to you today. Cool. Louise, your website screams one thing, I think. That's what I feel when I look at it. And I think what it says to me, it reminds me of this lovely C.S. Lewis quote and I'll read the quote yeah friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another what you too I thought I was the only one and honestly the amount of people that go through life I think thinking we're the only one when something happens is quite amazing and you're not alone is the message I get from your website. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because for many years, I thought I was the only one that had like my thoughts that were in my head. I've come to realise that it's not. But you know, I used to think I was wild wrong. That my sisters were different than me. I mean, just how they, they, they were. They seemed, to, they seemed to be a little bit more self-confident, a little bit more um, laid back, whereas I'm a little bit more anxious about everything. And, and so I've learned over the years that, yeah, I'm not alone. And it's quite reassuring in a in a strange roundabout way, because you don't want anybody else to feel, I didn't want anybody else to know, feel that I'm what they I felt about myself, you know, the anxiety, the, the spiraling in out of depression. You don't want anybody else to experience that at all. But it's, it's so reassuring to learn that you aren't, on your own and that it isn't because you're wired wrong and you're the only any person out there and that's why now I want to go out there to say to everybody look this is what I've gone through and you're not alone let's work together and help move you forward because I've been there and I don't want people to use the number of years that I've lost in not believing in myself that's that's really my key thing and people have said to me you haven't lost years but if I picked up sooner I wouldn't have lost the number of years I have lost I could have sorted it out sooner yeah that makes sense that's a really interesting way of looking at things. I've lost years. No, you haven't because you were here or whatever. But what does it take for us to figure out that we're not alone? What did it take for you, Louise, perhaps, to know that you weren't alone? I th- there, was, there was two things. One is the fact that we were talking about it more. I mean, mental health has been spoken about so much over the last probably about five years 
I would say it's been really coming out to town and having mental health first aiders in organisations. My background is HR, so I used to see that people would diagnose. But of course, because of that, I used to hear the comments that were made from the managers I was supporting or other people in the, oh, what they got to be depressed about. And it was like, I would shy away because I wouldn't say anything. And I used to find that we'd support the organisation, but sometimes in the organisations I worked in and within the HR department, if I said anything, I was not helped. It was like, oh, no, 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 you know, we don't, we, you know, you can't have that within our own. You're obviously not resilient enough. You're not strong enough to be in HR. When it's like, well, actually I, I am, but I'm human at the end of the day, if that makes sense. So I always felt that when I did say something, it was, I, did, I felt that I, I failed and it was put back onto me and I was held against me. And, and I just don't want that for anybody else. And so over the time I, you know, I can talk to people, I was acknowledging with people, I, I understand. I can imagine what you're going through because I've gone through something similar, but what's your journey? Because you are you and I am and I am me. And I had cancer four years ago and that was the thing that really changed my own viewpoint on myself and everybody talks about the fact that everybody has their own cancer journey even if you've got breast cancer which is what I had nobody's two journeys will be exactly the same however when it comes to something that's going on in our head first of all is how can you explain it when you can't understand it so you kind of trying to talk to your doctor and go it's not like I've maybe broken my leg or got you know, blood or something, or, you know what I mean? It's how do you talk about something in here when you can't explain it? And also the fact that nobody is the same. So it's just very tricky to, to kind of comprehend. But yeah, over the years I've got there and that's why I'm sharing my journey, my story, just to help other people so they know they're not on their own and some of the th- tools and tips and things I've learned. But it took me going through breast cancer for me to really make a change in my life. Wow don't even know where to start now again <laughs> there's so much in there and I think it's easy for all of us to get caught up in our day-to-day also things that little things and I'm not trying to be little or undermine mm-hmm. our day-to-day things but first of all I think there is help out there there is more understanding and there are others who you can listen to and learn from even if the stories aren't the same or the experiences aren't the same maybe absolutely a very good friend of mine always says he said people just want to be heard and and that's it sometimes when things are happening you just want to you know I see people I please don't tell me what I I need to do or have to do I know I just want to let it out I just want to get that 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 thing that's pushing me on my chest to release it and and sometimes the way of doing that is talking and I I mean I live on my own and I now have my own little tools that help with that but and it's hard sometimes because you feel like you're a burden if you're talking to somebody if you keep going to the same person but actually I've just said if you're not a burden just just let it out and you and all you need to do is ask is is there any way I can help anything I can do that can help what what can I do to make a difference not say you need to do this and you need to do that because that's the word according to me but it's just asking what can I do if anything to help and half the time most of you get I feel so much better by just let you listening and that's it I mean that is just so simple it I love the simplicity it doesn't mean it's easy for either party no. but it's simple and there's 
the author Michael Neal. I don't know if you've come across Michael Neal. He's written a book called Inside Out Revolution. I've heard of it. Yeah, I haven't read it. But I've heard and of it. he says that basically people could talk to a lamp post and feel better. And it's, you know, so actually it is that act of letting something out. Mm. But by having another person sit there and honour what you're letting out does something a whole way differently yeah it's, it's listening without judgment you know you know that's all you need to do it's just sit there and listen yeah and I think many of us and I, I, I'm not speaking for others but I that's what I think is many of us shy away from these conversations Louise because perhaps we feel like we're not equipped or we don't have the right words or actually we have enough going on in our own lives and really do we want to to take someone else's burden I suppose there's a whole host of reasons we give ourselves not to be present for someone else so yeah if you're someone who feels like someone needs to talk is there a way of opening the conversation in the first instance I mean, most of the things I, I usually say to some of my friends is, have you, have you got time for a chat or can we go for a walk? I think walking is probably the best thing to do because it takes your eyes. If you're sat opposite somebody and, you know, and they go, oh, yeah, let's go to the coffee shop. You're going, oh, I might cry or, you know, I might get a little bit heated about something that you then stifle it because you don't want to be seen, if that makes sense. Or you feel if you go around someone's house, they come here, it's like it's that whole kind of not territorial what's the kind of thing you know it's just that space personal space but I think sometimes you walk in you don't have to look at the person the person that's listening doesn't have to look at you which I think helps but as you walk along if you're going for a nice walk in the countryside as you're talking both of you are feeling better I think being out in nature is one of the best things ever but also you can start moving forward because you're spotting things and you can start just chatting about the scenery the sounds do you know what I mean and that would just help and it makes you feel just grounded in some way because you just feel as though you're moving forward I feel it's like you start the journey and as you're walking you're leaving it all behind yeah there's a great like that you are literally moving forward and metaphorically or whatever you're not even metaphorically but in your mind you can also move forward yeah because at the the end of the conversation you, you might have done a loop and come around and sit back in the same same way but because you're seeing looking at it from a different angle it, it's all behind you and yeah and you'll see things differently and you the conversation has probably moved on and you might be chatting about other things that you can you can do so so yeah but sometimes this is one of the tools I've come up with which if you haven't got anybody to talk to or you feel that you don't want to talk to them it's like taking time out now I'm a believer of using your mobile phone for what is intended, which is a phone. And so I put my mobile phone out of the way and I will set my kitchen timer in the kitchen and I go and sit in the lounge and I set it for an hour. And in that time, I, I may watch something on TV. I may have a sleep. I may do some colouring or some doodling or something or other. But sometimes, because I can just feel the anxiety and the frustration, I'll make myself cry and I'll have a good old cry just to let it out because I think that's the thing that you need to do is just let it out but once that kitchen timer has gone off to set an hour that's it you've got to move on and it's, it's, it's that thing about training yourself because if you keep thinking about it it's just going to pile on and it's that night time and it's that I mean we're not sleeping because of the heat but, but you'll be tossing and turning on night and you'll make it 10 times worse and you'll replay it and magnify it so I just think 
set that kitchen timer an hour and then I do a couple of things. I may phone my mum, I may go and see my parents, I may phone a friend. I've been known to jump in the car, drive out into the countryside with the music blaring, singing along or go for a walk. Something to get my energy levels different and, and out of it. But it's that thing about moving, moving on. But yeah, it's that out. It's a bit like, I suppose, the naughty step, isn't it? Where you put a child on the naughty step for so long. It's not putting yourself on the naughty step. It's about giving your own some self-care. That hour of just looking after me. And it's switching off from everything and just being present in that hour and doing whatever you need to do to make you feel a little bit better. Yeah, that, that's great. And there's some fab tips in there as well. And the music can really help, can't it? You know, even if you have a playlist of songs that you can't help but kind of start moving to. <laughs> Singing along to as you drive in your car. Or even when you go out the country, just screaming. I have someone to sit that, just scream in your own car. Can't do it down the metro because people think you're screaming, screaming on road rage. But if you're in the countryside, the cows don't really care. <laughs> They won't notice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I suppose maybe we can step back a little bit, if that's okay with you, to talking about cancer, because you have one of the most unusual career breaks on your LinkedIn profile I think I've ever seen. And that's you say (laughs) that you beat cancer and became a breast cancer survivor and that's your career break that's Mm. quite a shock when you read it like so when you read something like that you stand back and go whoa yeah I mean at the time I'm sure you didn't think of it as a career break so it's interesting now that you you combine those two like that yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think it might be useful um, for anybody that's listening to, to know how my cancer was was found because I didn't find a lump. And this bit is, is really important as well as me talking about my mental health. So I noticed a discharge from my right breast on pyjama tops I wore to bed. It was about April time when I noticed it. And I saw my GP who referred me to the hospitals, be on the safe side. I saw a consultant to examine me. I didn't think there was anything untoward. Referred me for some tests to be on the safe side. I had a mammogram and an ultrasound and they found cancer on my left, sorry, discharge on my left breast, found it on my right breast. Sorry, getting them around the wrong way. So discharge on my left breast and they found cancer in my right breast. But I didn't find a lump. Consulting didn't find a lump. GP didn't find a lump. So it was by these tests, do we on the safe side that they found it? They thought it was 25 millimetres. They did a lumpectomy literally the week after they, they told me it was all very fast. It was actually 45 millimetres, so it's a lot bigger than they initially thought. And they also found it in my lymph nodes. So I called my cancer Stan. I just had this thing about naming it the minute I left the hospital. And I say they found Cyril in Sydney parting out in my lymph nodes. <laughs> um, and, 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 and it was that revelation that my quirky sense of humour, which had been stifled by family and friends for many years, all of a sudden was allowed. To, and so it became, that's what I, I kid, I named everything. But uh, And I carried on working and I was absolutely supported by the, the company I was working for. I'd only been there a few months really really supported but let's just say cancer wasn't dramatic enough for me a week after I had my first chemo I started getting stomach aches I just thought it was the the chemotherapy I just thought it was the whole because I I never had obviously chemo before my family close to me no one's had we've had cancer in our family but no one's ever had chemo before and basically to cut a long story short the week I was due to have my second uh, chemo I was driving to work and 
I got so far and I, I just turned around. I just, someone just told me, no, just, I need to go home. This is not right. I'm going to go and see my doctor. And I saw the same GP again. And she said, if you come to me with just this, I think it was appendicitis. So she admitted me straight to hospital. I saw the same consultant who did some tests and said, you are a very, very poorly young lady. You're not at all well. It is appendicitis. However, because it's been so long since it first started, it's now all in an abscess. It's all stuck to your bowel and your colon. And I'm going to have to do a major emergency surgery. So he tried keyhole, didn't work. So now I've got a huge scar from the top of my belly button to the top of my bikini line. So it's about good oh, six inches. And, and I was in intensive care for 48 hours with my hair falling out. I then had an infection in my wound. I had, also I had to have blood transfusion. I came out of intensive care the night before my 45th birthday. I then had an infection in my wound. So I had to have this vacuum pack put on me for four weeks to because they obviously had to reopen me up to get the you know get it all sorted so I could get back onto the chemotherapy and my doctor just said um to me that you're very lucky he said if you hadn't gone in when you did it you could have had a bigger fight on your hand than cancer of course he's saying if it erupted it'd been sepsis and he said I don't want you going back to work until all your treatment is finished he said because I know you he said you'll go from naught to 100 miles an hour plus and obviously he knew my history with my mental health I'm very lucky I've known him you know, quite a long time since I was, uh, you know, a young teenager that who's my doctor. So I've been able to speak to him about my mental health. He said, I just want you to have time off. Let's just deal with, with this. So I ended up having a, a career break. Um, and it was quite nice. I just had to sort of just concentrate. And, but, I, but I was in a whole, how can I say it? Dealing with the cancer and the treatment was easy in dealing with the mental health side. So the reason I say this is that when you're diagnosed, you got told what's going to happen. And you get told of all the side effects and you have a weekly, you know, you go into the hospital every week to have your pick line cleaned. And then you have your appointment with your oncologist and you have your bloods done. And, and then you say so everything is a week that goes on and they tell you the kind of side effects and what needs to happen next. So you're in this like little bubble of a, like a conveyor, but it's a lovely conveyor, absolutely supportive. But when you're, when you've got your depression and your anxiety, you don't know how long it's going to last. And I've been on medication and I've done cognitive behaviour therapy, CBT, and those things still need practice. You still need to do something about them, but you don't know how long it's going to last. So for me, that whole journey was easier. Although when it stopped, I was completely and utterly lost. I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah, and because I was like, well, I suppose I, I, I better start looking for, another, for a new job again. But it was, I didn't know what to do with myself. Even though I've been off for like eight months, all of a sudden I was like, what do I do now? You know, because you're in that that whole thing about your diary's full and your radiotherapy for four weeks, you know, weekly or three weekly injections and they still carried on, but yeah. So so yeah, that's my kind of thing. It was, it's, it's different, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a different kind of, yeah, way of looking at it, I guess. Yeah, I, like it's a full-time job what you went through anyway there sounds like a full-time job and I think one a couple of things that are quite interesting is I suppose the cancer is invisible the mental health is invisible so actually unless people notice you without hair or whatever it might have been no one's going to know anything are they and that's really hard somehow because if you had broken your leg, like you said, or whatever, an arm, people notice a physical symptom. They're more sympathetic or empathetic as a result. 
absolutely. If I go back to Christmas 2016, my, my mental health was in a really, really low point. My doctor diagnosed me with depression again. I was on medication. And the only person that knew was my mum. I felt numb. I, what I, I do when my, 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 my anxiety and my mental health is really bad is I come home from work and I go straight to bed. So I've never taken time off work. And in reflection, maybe that's not been the right thing to do, but I've kept going. For me, that's my thing. I've kept going. But I would come home from work and go straight to bed. No matter whether it was summer, whatever, I would go straight to bed and then I get up the next day and go to work. And I was withdrawing from anything. My friends might say to me, two weeks time, we're going to go out. And I go, yeah. And then I cancel about four days beforehand because I'm panicking because I don't think I'll look right. I've got nothing to say, you know, and, and it's just my whole inner voice is just all negative and stuff. And in the end, I had to cancel because then... I could do the situation, but come the night that all my friends are out, then I'm beating myself up because I'm at home on my own and miserable and not out enjoying myself with friends. So, but then you know, look at then the following Christmas of December 2017, and I'm like, I'm bold, and people are going, Oh, you're gonna have such a dreadful Christmas. And I'm like, not compared to last year. But and it's that thing of people because they see you having bold head, because I didn't wear my wig, I didn't wear my scarves I bought, I went round bold, which was a big thing for me and my family and for me to do that. But so life changing. And but yeah, I just said to actually I put put photos out every now and then and say, which one of these people, which side of this do you think I am at my worst? When am I at most, you know, most poorly? Because it wasn't when I had my chemo. And yes, I finished chemo a couple of days before Christmas. But actually, mentally wise, I was in a really bad place beforehand, before I had cancer that Christmas. Wow. And you've obviously done a lot of reflection on this, Louise, because you articulate this so well and you're so open about it. And, you know, how did you get to that stage, I guess? is Yeah, I, I think it was from, I think it, it, when I went through cancer, because I decided I wasn't going to wear my wig and I wasn't going to wear my, my scarf, I decided that this was my cancer journey. Nobody in my family and my friends, my circle, had themselves gone. It was one or two other people I know through friends through like networking or my, my hobbies, but nobody really, really close to me. So this was me going, well, you can't tell me what to do or how I should be acting because you haven't gone through it. So this was the first time, and of course, I've, I'm not reflecting on my older sister but I've got an older sister I've got older cousins so, you know I've got older friends so this well this was the first time that I could shine as me without somebody done it before and so yeah I just decided that I'm going to do it my way and it, I wasn't hurting anybody nobody was getting upset and if they were it was a kind of thing of well that's you to deal with because it's me that's going through, through this and everyone just kept saying to me you've you, you're such an inspiration I'm kind of going no I'm not I'm just doing what I'm doing but one, the key thing was my friend Susie, who said to me, you have made cancer less scary. And that really hit me when she said that. She Because of just the way you've gone through it, the, the way your whole attitude is. And I just thought, well, I wanted to share my story in the way of how my breast cancer was found, because I didn't find a lump. And, and I think we, all of us need to be wary of, you know your body, and if something doesn't feel right, listen to that gut feeling and go and get it sorted which is so important. But then that whole thing about just being me. And I remember going back to work after my, my chemo, I had a, a new interim role. 
And I've got this, this quote in my office. I can see it right above me. And it's just about that big. But this particular morning, it was absolutely huge, which says, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I could feel the anxieties rising. And that's why I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go and help people. And then doing some of the bits to get my message out there. I met a fantastic gentleman called Nick Elston. And he spoke to me about being an inspirational speaker because he said, you've got a story to tell. And it's just by working with him. And I've just gone, I just want to help other people. I wanted them to know. It, and, it, and it's twofold. It raises a bit about the cancer, but there's a bit about the mental health. And also, I think that people in HR, the HR professionals don't always talk about it themselves because they've got to be so robust. They've got to be there for everybody else in an organisation. And it's remembering that they're humans too. And I'm very much talking to, you know, primarily women and men who are in their mid 40s to late 40s who've never got married and who've never had children so there's nothing wrong with us if we haven't kept what society says about the what's wrong with you because you've got never got married why why have you not got no children it doesn't matter (laughs) i'm absolutely with you there i've never been married and i have no kids (laughs) and i'm as happy as could be (laughs) i do have a partner now but i was nearly 40 when i met him yeah, and but for me, I was I never thought I was good enough. I never thought I was funny enough or interesting enough. I'm going to be blunt and honest here that I'm quite well gifted woman. Let's just say in the old um, breast area, but that was made to me to feel like a guy was only interested in me because of the size of my breasts and because I was blonde. So why would they take you interest? So therefore, when you get that, that's what you think, and then you're meeting a guy going, "Are you really interested in?" in me and then you question everything and in the end you go you know, I'm just going to end it because it's just too stressful because my inner voice is just talking over me all the time and and then of course you have this thing of could I be a good mum because everything else I do I'm not good enough at so there you, you know what I mean it just spirals you know and in the end you think well am I am actually good enough because nobody gets taught how to do these things and it's about how you listen to that inner voice and how you take other people's perceptions of you and expectations and opinion because at the end of the day that's the world according to them and this is something I've learned so late in life that's their world compared to what their experiences are and yeah and that's yeah the difference absolutely and I suppose it is a hard you know that is if you can appreciate that it it really helps in life because like you said Louise we we grow up in society with family and friends and teachers and whatever and everyone telling us as children what we should do how we should behave what we should say what we shouldn't say whether we should sing or not or all of these things and staying the course of you being you it's it's not easy that's right (laughs) I mean, it, it sounds like the simplest thing in the world, but just mm. be yourself. Yeah, but we're not, we're chipped away at from an early, from an early age. I've got, my parents are absolutely amazing, but I know sometimes the things they've said because the way they were brought up. People know who you are, even if you don't know who they are. And of course, yes, we want people to all be respectful. Of what, that's, that's, you know, that's a given. That should be how everybody is respectful for each other and given. Absolutely. But it is some of the things that sometimes some other people's fears of, oh, why would you want to do that for? Or you won't be able to do that. And therefore you don't do it because you think, oh, okay, well, I was thinking ahead of myself. And actually it's like, well, actually that's, that's their fear, really. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So now what is the life you're living? 
Well, I, I did make a big comment when I was going through cancer that I was never going to feel the way I used to feel ever again. That was a big thing to say because obviously I've got many, many years of what I call self-loathing to get over, but it's managing it. So it's really about management health now. Now for me, it's about being very clear about what it is I want to do and how I want to, to live. And I'm very much, there's a debate going on. There's people chatting about things. I will remove myself from it. You know, there are times where you know, I might have started the debate because I'm thinking, you made a comment. You don't have to put up with that. So perhaps there's some ways I'm a little bit more bolder to say, we well, don't have to put up with it. And then there goes a debate coming on. And I'm thinking, oh, whoops, you said that. But it's like the thing of, you know, you don't, you don't have to, you know, you could do something about it is probably what I'm saying. But it's more about letting people be themselves and encouraging them and helping them to overcome that self-belief, that limiting self-belief or their lack of self-confidence or if they're feeling stuck to just find out what is their spark. One of the things I do with my own clients is I take them back to their childhood. What was it you wanted to be? What did you enjoy? Putting fun back on the agenda. Why couldn't you do things on your own? I mean, I have to admit, there is times when I wish there was someone else to put the bins out, but there isn't. (laughs) Um, Or someone else to go and do things with or introduce me to new things. But I'm very much about, if I want to go and do that, why can't I do it by myself? You know, it's, and I did when I was younger in my 20s. You know, I went to Canada by myself when I was 23. But I think now, go to Canada by myself. Wow, could I, could I do that? And it's like, well, of course I can. But it, it's those little things. You know, people go, oh, I don't want to go to cinema on my own, or I don't want to go here on my own. Then we should do, because actually we can meet people on their own and who knows who we, who, what, who we might meet. But it's all about helping people know they can be themselves and just by me sharing some of the tips and tools I use, hopefully will help them in utilising and help themselves for their own self-esteem. But also they may come up with, some of their own ideas they hadn't thought of, like like I have with the, the kitchen time and thinking outside the box. Absolutely. I think that, I love that, Louise. I think it is, you know, there's this, I'm always talking about yoga with Adrienne, but there's this wonderful woman on YouTube, Adrienne, and you feel like you know her when you do yoga with her, but she's always about find what feels good for you. And I think that's it, isn't it? It's trying on the different tips and techniques and strategies and stories and going, actually, do you know what? I want to do it this way with this tweak. And that works for me. Absolutely. Because I've done many classes with cognitive behavior therapy and some of them I have to keep practicing now and use. And there's others that don't work quite right for me, but that's fine because they're working for somebody else because we are all different. And we've, we've got to remember that we are all different but we are all the same with the fact that we are humans and need to be treated the same way with respect, with love and care and concern, but we are all individual. And early on, you made a comment about being wired wrong. And this is something I hear a lot. People think that they're wired wrong or wired differently. And I suppose we are all wired differently. Yes, you know way we are. Yes, <laughs> and there's there's no wrong, there's no right. So, if somebody is listening who who thinks that that they're wired wrong or wired differently, which, like I said, we often are. Yeah, what would you say to them? I I would say it's on whose basis do you think it's wired wrong? on whose perception and you know people say if you're quirky embrace it because do you know what being like everybody else is boring it's like when you have the same food all the same time you get bored of it after a while isn't it it's like 
and they say diets don't work if you have salad every day for 12 weeks which I probably could do that because I love salad but you know what I mean <laughs> we don't change it up a little bit but it's quite right you say we are wired differently and different is good but wrong on whose perception and you know if you've got people there who are stifling you are they the right people for you is that whole thing about being with people who nourish you not deplete you um, and there's a great quote which my lovely friend said is don't be a duck be an eagle because ducks uh, quack and complain and eagles rise above the ground ducks quack and complain and eagles yes. rise above the ground well they soar above the ground like soar yeah. above the ground <laughs> I didn't know that ducks complained that they were <laughs> quacking, but now I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing, and they're all doing the same thing, and they're quack, quack, quacking. Whereas, yeah, eagles, and yeah, which is another lovely quote my friend gave to me. So yeah, because she said that's what I just need to remember, and it's just so true. That's great. Isn't it well, funny? I, I had to go back and read it on my door, and I pass my door every single day. <laughs> I'm going to have to move it. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. And yeah. And, um, and I like that image of eagle soaring that we can all soar above the ground absolutely. with yes, our own wires. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And just spread our wings and fly as we want to fly. And I guess there's also a moment, Louise, I, maybe there isn't, I don't know, but when you first allow your, yourself to be vulnerable, when you first open up that box and say to somebody, perhaps who was close to you or who wasn't, this is what I'm going through, this is my experience, is it terrifying? Oh, yeah. Yes, because when I had said pizza things to people in the past, I felt that it was held against me and I was belittled and very much with, oh, we can't give it to Louise to do because she won't be able to cope kind of thing. You, you, you know what I mean? All those kind of things. And it was it's very hard talking to my family. I remember that that Christmas in 2016, my mum was the only person that knew. She said to my dad, Louise is going to come up for a few days and stay. I mean, they, they live in the same town, but it was just going to step left and change the scenery. And, you know, and everything. my dad's like, oh, she's working too hard. She needs to, you know, it's not working, which is which is true. My mum just said, that's true, but she doesn't need to hear that because she just needs love and support, which she did. Brilliant. But I remember being called boring on that Christmas because I wasn't taking part in a bit of the game the family were doing. But I didn't have the energy. I was absolutely numb. And since then, yes, I've opened up a little bit more to, to, to family and they've, they've, they've kind of cried. But they they still probably don't see it when it's at its, at its worst because you, you mask it and you still mask it if you know what I mean but yeah it's that whole kind of thing of it, it is you are being vulnerable and, it, and it's hard but the feedback I've had when I've spoken to talked to companies I've talked at rotary clubs and I've talked at women's institutes and other groups the, the amount of them saying gosh that's really helped me and yes I can relate to that and I know I'm not on my own and it's reassuring and you've given me something here I can take away with any of the tools that I use and you know, it, it, I think that's just, it's been really eye-opening. And I, but I have to say, some of the some of the best things have come from the Rotary Clubs that I've spoken at, because you know, if you think of a Rotary Club, you think of older gentlemen, all men's club, which of course it's not now, it's male and female. But you have that kind, we have that kind of image. But I have had some of the best questions and some of the best chats about mental health and cancer from those groups, because they want to understand and the thoughts for their younger generations. And, and of course, they put a lot of it onto social media. And I went, but I used to feel like this before social media came about. So, and I, th- I think that just being vulnerable 
I just feel like I'm helping. If I can go away each time when someone's saying you've helped me understand something or that I've, I've taken away a message that's helped me a lot, then I'm glad I've gone out and done it. Mm-hmm. Whether that's doing a one-to-one, chatting to somebody like you, chatting to somebody in the park, chatting to a group of people. If someone can take one thing away from what I've said that's going to help them, then I'm happy, whether that's mental health side or, or cancer side. Yeah, one thing. I mean, that's all people need often is just to hear one thing that can help them to go yeah. on what they need to get on with or do. And Absolutely. I suppose workplaces are definitely we talked about this right at the beginning that workplaces are definitely changing Louise and for the better hopefully yes and you know I I sometimes wonder whether the work environment contributes to the mental health and well-being and I think there's there's both isn't there because there's people who I won't say are disposed because that's not fair, but people who have mental illness or mental challenges, whatever the term is right to use, but there are also workplaces. I mean, your workplaces didn't necessarily help you either, and they could have, Mm -hmm. but there are lots of people who are subjected to abuse in the workplace that can result in a mental illness mental deterioration mental challenges yeah that's right yeah yeah and I think I think there's a lot of things that people you know still need to to think about in the workplaces and and remembering that it's not a tick box exercise there's lots of things that need to be looked at for everybody individual and understand what people need and being more aware we still got a long way to go but we're getting somewhere, which is good. And I think there's also this thing of technology helps. I mean, we wouldn't have survived the pandemic of working if we didn't have technology. However, I do think we, there is a thing about, and it's about people's, everybody's discipline, not just businesses, it's individuals' discipline as well, that your weekends are your weekends. There is a time during the day when you used to switch off. I mean, I remember when I first started working, you had to leave the office by a certain time because the doors were locked. And when you left, you had your life, and then you come back the next morning when the doors opened and you had your work and your weekends. OK, you could go in. I mean, I remember a couple of times going in when I was really busy, honest, really busy. With something. I used to go in for Saturday for a couple of hours, but you had to leave by 12 o'clock and you had your rest of the day. Now we have access to work 24 seven and you see people always doing that. Yeah, oh yeah I get my notes tonight and I'm, I feel like some stop, just turn the technology off. I have an alarm goes off on my, which sounds ironic, alarm goes off on my mobile at eight o'clock that says it's eight o'clock. And that means I have to come off technology. Phone goes on silent. It's not anywhere near me. If there's any technology I have, it might be the TV if I'm not reading, that kind of thing. But I think you need to have the time to be present in the moment and stop working. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, you know, and I, I think this organisations need to press the button, press the button at a certain time people cannot access emails and files. Yeah. But that might also lead to anxiety for some people. So I also I feel it's it's on all of us to manage ourselves too, if you can. And if you can't can, ask for that help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And everything. And I know people have got so much more stuff to do these days in their jobs because they're doing the jobs that years ago four people would have done because top technology is supposed to be helping. But yeah. <laughs> Could be a whole nother conversation. But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is you've got to look after yourself and it's not all about work. 
Yes, oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely. And now one last question, Louise, is tell me about Finish That Damn Book book club. <laughs> Sounds like the best book club ever, even though I must say I do finish lots of books. But <laughs> yes, so, so this is all about those self-development books. You, you know, there's loads of book, great books out there. You can see I've got some behind me, but I'm I'm a bit of a butterfly. You know, when I fiction books, fine, I can read one and finish it. But when it comes to self-development books and there's some great people out there written some great books, you know, it's that shiny new book and I butterfly and I sit on one and then someone tells me about another good book and I go, oh, go and get it. And then I read for a couple of pages and before I know it, it's like, I haven't read that one yet. So I, I'm very bad at finishing the damn book. So I put a book club together to help me and help other people that were wanting to read more. We've, the club's read some great books this, this year. We were going to talk about Gareth Southgate before Euros. Um, about the book that he's got out has been highly recommended but it's that whole thing about let's hold each other kind of accountable and we meet once a month and it's just about what book have you read what did you enjoy about it how easy was it to read and would you recommend it and people have said I recommend it but read it when you're on holiday because you really you get into it or buy your own because there's loads that you'll be wanting to highlight or yeah you borrow that one from a library because it's a good good read and we just hold each other accountable and just make sure that by the next time we've read what book we're going to read in that month. And it's, it's Sunday evening and it's very much about just come along, cup of tea, you can be in your pyjamas, don't worry about doing your hair. It's your Sunday after all and let's just get together and share. Um, <laughs> that sounds great. So if somebody wants to join that Finish the Damn Book Club or get to know more about you, Louise, how might they do that? So you can visit my website, which is louisemacmillan.co.uk. There's no dot You can follow me on Instagram. Um, you, I'm sorry, on LinkedIn. Instagram, I'm known as living life more fully with the underscores between each word. And I know you found me recently, so I'm following you back. And obviously you can find me on Facebook. I've got a Facebook, Facebook page for me and obviously for my coaching. So, but also re- reach out, you know, any of those, those things that you want to want to do. So that's not Great. And I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes as well, Louise. Lovely. Thank you. And and thank you. Thank you today for, for your time, but also for being so open and honest and raw. And we don't show the video of this podcast. I only like play the recording, but at times I honestly felt like I had goosebumps and a bit of a lump in my throat. And even now I have tears in my (laughs) eyes almost because it's quite a remarkable story and your generosity in sharing it with people and your quirky sense of humor is fabulous. So thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and, you know, for letting me share my story so people can 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 hear. I, I know in a minute when we finish, I'm going to have to sort of take a bit of a break because I, I go, for, you know, for the emotions afterwards about what I've shared because it brings it back up. But that's what makes me me. And that's who I am. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's perfectly allowed. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Louise, thank you again. And, you know, we may speak again some other time. That'd be lovely. Thank you so much for the invite and speaking to you. Bye now. Bye. Imagine if every day you enjoy work, express yourself fully and exceed expectations. I believe we're all entitled to have this. 
and that the future of work life will be changed by those who strive for and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and wider organisation. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with someone you know who is curious like you.